This is the weekend before Thanksgiving, so a very simple message today. And I thought, what would be appropriate that couldn't be any more simpler than this? How to be thankful in tough times. It's easy to be happy when things are going well, money's in the bank, kids are making good grades, you and, you and your wife are getting along okay, car's running, house is paid for, things are good. But generally, life doesn't go that smooth for all of us, and so there are going to be times in our life things are not good. So as a believer, how do we stay thankful in tough times? Anybody ever remember reading the label on a product or a can, warning, contents under extreme pressure? I think we could put that label on a lot of people right now around the country, and I've seen so many lately. There's actually a stress scale called the Holmes Stress Scale, which lists the 100 most stressful events you can have in life, like a divorce, losing a job, the death of a spouse. But on that scale, after research, they discovered that the single most stressful time of the year is the period between Thanksgiving and New Year. It's always that case. You know, a lot of reasons people have to worry about presents, finance, parties, annoying relatives you have to see. Nothing destroys the Christmas spirit faster than trying to find a parking spot at the mall, right? And so since we're about to enter this most wonderful time of the year, how can we stay thankful without killing anybody and be at peace? How do you keep your joy and sanity in the midst of all the insanity or in the midst of uh, maybe a bad economy, or when things aren't going your way. How do you stay thankful in tough times? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And so my question would be this morning, is that possible? Is that just some religious rhetoric? Is it possible to rejoice no matter what the circumstance? Well, God says yes. So I got to tell you, it's a learned behavior. It is not automatic. It's a learned behavior, and he's going to give us a step-by-step strategy on how to do it. And so I read from Philippians 4, verses 5 through 8. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. So there are four keys in this Philippians 4 passage to help us learn how to survive stress. And I'm going to tell you they're a lot easier to say than they are to do, but you can learn it. So how do we stay thankful in tough times? Out of that passage in Philippians 4. Step one, God says, first of all, learn to worry about nothing. Here's what He says, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now if God felt there was something to be anxious or worry about, He'd tell you. So he's telling you, you know, I'm your backup. I'm telling you, don't live anxious about anything. So the Smithsonian Institute magazine recently said, we live in America in the golden age of anxiety. 
More drugs are being sold at any time in our, in our history right now for people having panic attacks, depression, or anxiety. We not only have micro-worries, those are personal worries, but we have micro-worries, and those are worries about the world. Now, it's no wonder we get up, uptight and are negative. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, it's an alarm clock, not a comfort clock. Have you ever noticed that? An alarm. And then you turn on Bad Morning America and catch the latest bad news from Iraq, Afghanistan, North Korea, or Paris. More great news. Then you sit down to breakfast and read the newspaper full of more bad news. Then you get in a car on the way to work and you listen to talk radio. And it is no wonder you're stressed out by the time you get to work. The Bible says worry about nothing. Now here's some facts about worry from Dr. Walter Calvert. He did a study and discovered that 40% of our worries never even happen. They don't. 40%. 30% of your worries concern the past. Now worry cannot ever change your past, and it certainly can't control the future. All worry does is mess up today. You can worry all you want about history, the past, but it won't change it. So 30% of your worries are past. 40% of your worries aren't ever going to happen. 70% of your worries then are totally worthless. I'm feeling better already. 70%. Wow. Dr. Calvert says 12% of your worries are needless health concerns that aren't going to happen. You're kind of like the hypochondriac that had written on his tombstone, I told you I was sick. He said 10% of your worries are insignificant petty issues, which leaves only 8% legitimate concerns. So here's the point. Worrying will not change anything. The, no matter what's coming down the line, my worrying isn't going to change that one single bit, not a bit. So I got to learn to do something else. That's not going to help me. That's actually going to hurt me, but it won't help me. Worry is a learned response. It is. You learned it from somebody, your parents, your peers, your, your hyper-hysterical mother. You learned that somewhere. It's a learned experience. And the good news is because it's learned, it can be unlearned. And you, you parents have to be really, really careful, and moms especially. Every time you get bad news, you go nuts. Stop it. It's never as bad as you think. It always comes, and it sounds worse than it is, and you've just got to learn, stop this. I don't want this toxicity to get on my kids. I, I, I'm raised in the military. I was then, then uh, with pilot training, and then with first aid, and scuba diving, and rescue squads. Our first law was always, don't ever think about panicking. When you panic, you can't think right. You can't respond. It won't help anything. And I remember listening to the cockpit recorders of test pilots at Edwards Air Force Base who died or nearly died in crack-ups of experimental aircraft when things went bad. And what you never hear is anything. They're focusing on the instruments. They're trying to see what's wrong. They're trying to take evasive or corrective action. They're not on their screaming panic into the microphone. It's very quiet. I remember flying a Cessna 421 uh, twin engine back from Jacksonville, Florida. We were about 16,000 feet, and the right engine blew up. There were eight people on board, including my wife, who was pregnant, uh, a senior pastor, his wife, and his 85-year-old mother. 
an associate pastor and his wife. That was a noisy airplane until that engine blew up. It was as quiet as a funeral. And I remember I had flying in the co-pilot seat, just letting him sit there was the associate pilot, Ray Turner. And Ray was worried. Are we going to be all right? Are we going to crash? And I remember just said, Ray, calm down. It's fine. I got another 400 horses over here rolling. We're just fine. We're going to be okay. And he kind of calmed down. So I brought a calmness to the situation. I knew the outcome. I said, if you see me scream, you better worry. I'm not, I'm not going to scream. And my wife will tell you every time she's concerned about something or the children or grandchildren or something going on, the first thing I'll say is, stop worrying. You can do this. You can learn that. Or you can just go to pieces and upset everybody and create a toxic culture of anxiety, stress, and fear. Whatever the diagnosis was, don't worry about it. We're on top of this. We're going to deal with it. It's going to be all right. You men need to learn to do that. You're supposed to bring the security and protection into a home, and children need to hear that, that it's going to be all right. And then when they go out and have a home and family, they're going to get some bad news. They need to learn how to respond. So he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew 6, verse 34. Boy, isn't that true? Yeah, don't worry. Tomorrow's coming. It's going to have some trouble in it too. So Jesus is saying, don't open your umbrella till it starts raining. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And when Paul wrote this letter, don't be anxious or worry about anything, where is he? He's in a dungeon in a Roman prison. Hello? He's writing this, right? The key to reducing stress is to live one day at a time. Just focus on today. Whatever God tells us not to do something, He always will give us a positive replacement. So when God has a don't, He always gives you a do to replace it. He says, eliminate this from your life, then he adds something. So he says, don't worry, so what am I going to do? Step two, pray about everything. See, but in everything by prayer and petition. Now maybe you're thinking, I'm too busy to pray. The truth is you're too busy not to pray. If you'd pray instead of worrying, you'd have plenty of time to pray. I'm serious. You just learn to pray when you used to worry. You can't solve a thing worrying, but you can pray. So God says you can pray or you can faint. Men ought always to pray, not to faint. And I guess you're probably thinking theological. You've heard flowery pastors preach and pray. Stop all that. Just pray in your vocabulary the best you can. If God was standing there as a person in the form of Jesus, you wouldn't be speaking King James English. That's 400 years old. You'd be speaking your language today. And if you don't speak English, you'd be speaking Spanish. He can translate. You just go right ahead and you just tell him you pray about the issue. So whenever we get a concern for one of you or someone's been taken to the ER or someone's got a diagnosis with the possibility of breast cancer or or, or it's a financial need, first thing we do is I'm not going to get up and get myself worried about it, but I am going to do something about it. I'm going to pray. And so if Cindy's there, we come into agreement and we pray. We just stop whatever we're doing in the name of Jesus and we deal with it right there. We pray, we bind, we loose, we claim God's promise over that issue and we come into agreement. And a husband and wife in agreement is a very powerful weapon. 
See, I'm doing something positive. I'm praying. You sit over and worry all you want. Not going to change your thing. But prayer does change things. God's waiting on your prayer. So he says, pray. Don't worry about anything. But he says, in everything, with prayer and petition, you make these requests known to God. Notice it says, in everything. I mean, do you think God only wants to hear a religious prayer about religious stuff? The truth is, God cares about your toenail fungus, your dandruff, your post-nasal drip, your, your car payments. I pray for parking places this time of the year, going anywhere to a mall. I'm asking God, give me faith. Move somebody out of the way. I'm on a mission from God. I talk like that. I, I, what if you don't get one? Well, I'll park somewhere else. But I'm praying, and I'm praying for one up close. One, I, don't pray, I don't pray manipulatory prayers like the guy that says, Lord, if it's your will for me to have a Krispy Kreme, let there be a parking spot right there at the door, and I'll know it's your will. And after fifth time around, he got a parking place. That's, that's, not, how you, that's not how you pray. But I do pray about every single thing in life. God is concerned about little things as well as big things. If it bothers you, it bothers Him. Now, God knows every detail of your life. It says the number of your hairs on your head are even numbered. And for some of you, that's not real difficult. Come on. Yeah, you know it. Some of you took a shower this morning, rubbed your big toe on some hairs, and God be with you till we meet again as it came out. I, I know. But I, I, I just think some people get a little too religious and, and silly, and they don't understand, hey, he says, talk to me about everything bothering you or concerning you. You talk to your best friend that way. I'm talking the same way to him about every detail of your life. The God who made every thumbprint unique, who made every voice print unique, every DNA unique who made every snowflake unique, has no problem handling the details of your life. And then Paul goes on to say, pray with petition. Now, this is a good one, all right? What does that mean? A petition is a specific detailed prayer. It's direct. It's not a a generic prayer. Lord, bless me. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what's in, what are you talking about? Sometimes, you know, a blessing, a problem can be a blessing in disguise. Are you praying for more problems? I don't think so. So you need to be specific. Lord, I need more money. Okay, here's a quarter. No, that's not enough. See, uh, if you petition someone or you take a petition to a, a city official, that petition will have a list of your demands or requests for change or for what you want, correct? Let's get a petition City Hall. Let's, well, it's not just we want to be blessed City Hall. It's going to have a list of specific detailed information. So God's telling you and me, be specific. You said, I need another $5,000 a year to make it. Well, then talk to him and tell him how much you need. Be very specific about it. You say, he can read your mind. Yes, but he's telling you how he wants you as a believer to respond to him. You be absolutely specific. So, he says in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. Okay? 
unload your problem instead of worrying about them. I love this word in the Greek, give in the Greek, means to let it drop. When he says, give all your worries and cares to God, it means just let it drop. He doesn't say throw it, toss it, or heave it. No, let it drop. It's the idea of a deadlift participant in the Olympics. He lifts the weight up in the air, straining and grunting, but rather than putting it down real smooth, he steps back and lets the weights fall. Ever see that? Watch a quick video just to give you an idea in the natural. Just move your foot out of the way when you drop it. See, prayer is a release valve. That's what it's for. This is, this is something good for your health, spiritually and physically. Recently, I read that major life insurance companies have done studies and discovered if you attend church every week, you'll live on average 5.7 years longer than people who don't. Just one more good reason to come to church. And you know why? You know why. In general, Christians learn to decompress. Uh, that, that is, they unload their worry on God. Have you ever come in feeling lower than a whale's belly? And after worship and after praise and after the Word of God, you walk out feeling better? You, you feel like, well, I'm not going to die. Maybe I'm going to live. Maybe I can go another day. Let me tell you something. I do that myself. I have preached myself encouragement. I, I, I don't know who you are, but it's the same for all of us. You get in an atmosphere of hope, and an atmosphere of faith, and an atmosphere of praise. The presence of God inhabits the praises of His people, and as a result, by the time you walk out, you don't feel like you did when you walked in. Well, that's the whole benefit of us coming together. There, there is an absolute benefit to this. Uh, so we learn to decompress. We don't. We talk it out to God, or we take it out on ourselves. If you swallow your worries, your stomach's going to keep score. So God says, let it go. If you want to relieve stress, here's what you do. First, worry about nothing. Second, pray about everything. Step three, thank God in all things. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, whenever you pray, you pray with thanksgiving. The healthiest human emotion is not love. It is gratitude. Grateful people are incredibly happy people. Think about it. Scientists have proven that having a thankful attitude or gratitude increases your immune system. It actually makes you more resistant to stress and less susceptible to illness. It is the healthiest human emotion. Have you ever met people who aren't grateful for anything? Or you have kids, and they, aren't you happy and grateful about anything? Maybe you don't have a new car, but you got a car, and mommy and daddy paid for it. You didn't. Or mom and dad supports you, or you're still able to live at home. You got plenty to be thankful for. And so if you're in a jail cell and it's got heat, you ought to be thankful. It's got heat, or I got a blanket, or the food's better. No matter what situation you're in, it can be worse. 
And so there's always something to be thankful. You got bad news. The doctor says, I, I see a tumor there, or I feel a lump in my breast. And the negativity starts coming. Oh, I wonder if it's cancer. I wonder if it's treatable. Oh, my mother or my sister had that, and she died at 58. These, all these thoughts start coming in onto you, and God tells you how to deal with that. The first thing you're going to do is, if it's financial, I'm going to thank you, Lord. You're Jehovah Jireh. I'm going to thank you. I'm a tither and a giver. You said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. I'm standing on your word in covenant, that if I give, I shall receive, that wealth and riches come from you, not from man, from you. And I tell you pretty soon, I'm, th- I'm grateful. I'm telling God how grateful I am. He's my healer. By his stripes, I am healed. We lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. On the cross, he bore my sicknesses, my diseases, and my pain. And over and over, I am being thankful for what He has promised, for who He is, whatever the circumstance goes. And I always say, Lord, You are able. This is beyond my capacity, but You are able. I thank You You're in the midst of it. I thank You, though I feel alone, I'm not alone. I thank You, though this problem looks impossible, it's not impossible with You, for nothing shall be impossible with God. So no matter how bad it is, I can be thankful. You say, well, my wife has done run off and left me. Well, Lord, thank you. You said I'll never leave you or forsake you. Thank you. You're still here. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody this morning, man. I don't know. Yeah, she left a note on the pillow. She ran off with the Electrolux salesman. Okay. All right. If it's that bad, God bless him. Who knows? Well, you, this may be a blessing in disguise. You never know. You just never know. But I'm serious. I'm thankful that somehow you're going to, you can work a miracle. I've seen him do so many that there's, he says, I want you to be thankful for what you have. Quit looking at what you don't have. Start looking at what you do have. And if you want any more, you better start being thankful for what you do have. And everybody in here has got your health. How about your health? How about the fact you're mobile? You could get up. You got two hands and two legs. Maybe you're not running, going to run a hundred yard dash, but you can get to church. You can get out of the car. You can go to work. You know, you can think well. You don't have dementia or Alzheimer. Think about that. Well, there are many things I'd be nice to have, but boy, thank you, I've got this. Thank you, I've got this. I'm better than most. Thank you. I live better than most. Thank you, Lord. And when you look at the world living on a dollar to two dollars a day, most of you are rich. And you want to just complain and gripe about how much stuff costs? You got some money. Praise God. You got people who love you. You got a church family. Maybe your home's broken up. It's dis- dysfunctional. But you got a church family, a spiritual family. They love you. They care about you. And they help you. And they pray with you. They won't forsake you. Yeah, there's a lot. So he says, when you approach me, approach me with gratitude. Be th- Enter into his gates with praise and his courts with thanksgiving. God says, you come before me. I want to see some smile on your face. I can do anything. I can back up your age. I can take a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old woman, and make a baby, and you can have fun. That's right. I can pay taxes and catch a fish. I can do anything but fail. So get off your pity party and come to before me, the God of all creation and power, omnipotent, and thank you. Praise me. Give me some thanks for what you do have and the fact that I'm here with you and I'm going to help you through this dark valley of the shadow of death. I will be with you. And people who are ungrateful, kids who are never grateful, seem to be never satisfied. Nothing is ever good enough. One of the signs of the end times is ingratitude, ungrateful. So I am so grateful for what we have.
There's an old hymn we used to sing when I was a kid growing up, and when I went to church with my mom, count your blessings, name them one by one, and then it will amaze you to see what God has done. Sometimes just get a legal pad and write down things God's done for you and the blessings that you have, and it'll embarrass you to complain. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Please notice the word in circumstances. Never does the Scripture say, give thanks for every circumstance. That's misinterpreted by some Christians. You should give thanks, Rick, for everything. doesn't say that. In everything. The Bible says, give thanks in every circumstance. You see that? So, you know, I don't know about you, but when I get a flat tire on 281, the first words that pop into my mind aren't, thank God. <laughs> I don't want to tell you what pops into my mind. <laughs> if you smash into another car, you're probably not going to be saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> be serious. You don't give thanks for evil. If your child were murdered, you wouldn't be thankful for that. If your spouse came down with cancer, you wouldn't be thankful for that. When terrorists fly airplanes into buildings, I'm not grateful or thankful for that. The Bible never tells us to be thankful for evil, but it says, in every circumstance, give thanks to God. So even out of a bad deal, God can bring something good. God says He works all things, all things for our good and His glory. All things are not good. He can work them for good. So I thank you, Lord. You can make this terrible mess a beautiful message. I'm being thankful in my circumstances that He's still with me. He hasn't left me, and He's going to help me through it. Last, step four. Think about the right things. Boy, that's an important one. Even if you've got spiritual attention deficit disorder, like I do sometimes, you can discipline yourself to do this. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Philippians 4, verse 8. If you want to reduce the level of stress in your life, change the way you think. Whatever you put in your brain is going to come out in your life. Garbage in, garbage out. The way you think determines the way you feel. The way you feel determines the way you're going to act. So Paul says, if you want to change your life, change what you're thinking about. If you're reading newspapers and listening to talk shows and listening to a bunch of jabbering bubbleheads more than you know or read God's Word, then you're going to get unhealthy in your life. It's just a fact. They're going to pollute and poison you. I mean, you know, I, I like movies too, but I'm telling you I'm smart enough to know I don't live on a diet of Hollywood. They never magnify that which is good and excellent and pure and lovely. So Paul says, fill your mind with good things. And that's a deliberate, conscious choice. Why should I do it? Because the root cause of stress is the way I choose to think. What is it that take, you can take two people, put them in exactly the same circumstance, one of them falls apart, the, it collapses, the other one seems to handle it well with little problem at all. Obviously, the problem is not the problem. It's the way they respond or think about the problem. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so easy, so easy. So how, what, are you, what are you thinking about? What dominates your thoughts? You know, uh, If you hang around people thinking right, you'll get your life pretty well right. 
If you hang around people that are stupid and they talk stupid, you're going to act stupid. You hang around people that are always in a poverty mindset or always in, I'm going to die, I'm going to catch this. If you get negativity, is as toxic as cancer. And if you get around people thinking right, I'm always thinking, God says, my plans for you are good and not evil. So when something bad happens, I don't say, well, I guess God must be judging me. Well, I guess God. No, God judged you at the cross. So shut up, listen, talking like that. See, you got thinking bad already. Yeah. You can't afford the judgment. If God judged you, you'd be in hell. Now, He judged Jesus in your place. So you ought to, you ought to be very grateful for that. So how, how, how do you think about it? I think, well, we're going to get through it. I, uh, uh, we're going to persevere. You have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. I just quote Scripture. That's, do you realize that's your switchblade? That's your knife fight with the devil? You ain't got a Glock, but God gave you a sword. And it's the Word of God. And if you want to fight and win, you better have something to fight with. Well, my mother told me, my grandmama told me, my hairdresser told me, oh, shut up. That's a clothespin. You need a sword. And when Jesus fought the devil face to face, what did he use? It is written. It is written. It is written. And that's exactly, you read the Psalms. What did David do in crisis? He quoted what God's Word said. Jesus said, in life, you're going to have storms. One fool builds a beautiful home on the sand. Another guy builds the same beautiful home on a rock. The storms, the flood, the winds come. The one on the sand collapses, washes away. The one that built it on a rock stands firm. It has permanency. It's unshakable. And he says, he who hears my word and does it is like the guy that builds his life, his home on a rock. So if you want a life that can be attacked but not shaken, then you better build it on God's Word. And if you don't know what it says, you better get your ugly self in church or in the Word or in a Bible study or in a small group where you can get your mind renewed and you don't come apart like a cheap sweater. Amen. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'm thinking I'm going to win. I'm thinking this is going to come to an end. I'm thinking God's going to turn this around. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that all the way for you. Positive thoughts. What if I came to visit you in the hospital or emergency room and said, well, I don't know. You know, I've, I know three people that died of this. It's like, you, you don't need the pastor to come. You need an, an undertaker to come. I'm going to kill you. That's not how I think. That's not how I pray. That's not how I believe. I think my wife will tell you, you know, I, I get angry but don't sin. Oh, I do that. And then occasionally I sin too, but... I do get angry, and I pray good when I'm angry. I really do. Sometimes some of you just need to say enough is enough and boldly declare what God says to the adversary or the situation you're in. God loves it. God loves it. Charge that atmosphere. I'm not going to walk around with my head down. So what are you thinking about right now? You always move towards what you focus on. If you you keep your eyes on something, your life will move in that direction. You watch the headlights at night of an oncoming car, it'll pull you right into that car. 
And so you learn what you focus on is going to pull your life in that direction. If you want to become Christ-like, you've got to learn to think like He thinks. He says, let this mind be in you, way of thinking, that was in Christ Jesus. He says, quit thinking like an American or a Caucasian or a Hispanic or African-American. Would you think like me? And he gives us his word to tell us how he thinks. We see his life. We realize how he will respond. And I can become, I can't be him, but I can become a lot like him. You got kids that are like you. They're not just like you totally, but oh Lord, they show up. Yeah, it's just like you, honey. Look at that. Yeah, she just like you. Or your other kid, oh, he's just like you. And boy, I see it in my children. Absolutely, I see it. It's not perfect, but you see the glimpses that, that we become like what we focus on. So I want to I be like Him. So what's the result of worrying about nothing, praying about everything, thanking God in all things, and keeping my mind focused on the right thoughts? When you do these four steps, here's what God promises, Philippians 4, verse 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is a guarantee of peace of mind. Have you noticed everybody wants some peace? They look for it in yoga, crystals, therapy, fad diets, seminars, juices. They watch Oprah, Dr. Phil. They run from one guru to the next or one counselor to the next, always looking for peace of mind. But the Bible says God's peace is a gift to you, can't be explained, can't be duplicated. How do you get that when you're under pressure? What keeps me calm in a crisis that gives me strength in a storm, that helps me be thankful in tough times? How do I get that kind of peace? In Christ Jesus. It's a relationship. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not religious. This is a relationship. You see it? You need to put your faith and trust in Him. And then Paul says God's peace will guard your heart. And you won't fall apart. You're concerned, but you're not anxious. You're not going to come apart. You're going to have peace in the midst of a storm. Every time a storm showed up, Jesus would just stand up and say, peace, be still. And the waves would go flat as glass. Wind would stop. I heard yesterday we had wind gusts of 57 miles an hour, and Jesus said, shut up. Well, I just stopped. <laughs> and I remember the disciples says, even the wind and the waves obey Him. And He delegated you some of His authority. He's given you His DNA. We are partakers of the divine nature of Christ. I'm not Jesus, but I'm like Him. I have His Holy Spirit in me as a believer. Holy cow, there ought to be something like Jesus coming out of me. I mean, occasionally, could some of you let Jesus show up just a little bit? He's generous. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's bold. He's strong. He's fearless. He never… He never panicked. He never ran away in fear. And I'm, I'm telling you, some of you need to calm it down. You, this is a learned response. And every time I'm tempted to worry, or I shut the radio off, I'm driving the car, the phone's off, I'm praying. I'm praying out loud. I'm being proactive. I'm doing something aggressive against it. And God says, good. And here's the result. Now you'll have some peace of mind. Oh, it'll come again. And when it comes again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack it the same way. And again, I'm going to have that peace. And here's what happens. Over a period of time, you just start living in that area of peace when you hear bad news. You're not troubled. 
You're not upset. You're not worried. Oh, the alignment of the planets. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, Y2K. Oh, the world's, this is it. It's going, 88 reasons. Jesus is coming back. Oh, uh, this stuff just keeps going on. And I watched people freaking out. We had phone calls. Do you think this is it? You think the Lord's coming tonight? And I thought, well, what if He does? I won't have to pay the heating bill for all this cold weather. I don't care. What do I care? I mean, are you afraid He's coming tonight? Well, what if He did come tonight? Let her rock. What? What a silly thing. Why would you worry about that? Nobody's going to destroy the earth till God does. It's that simple. I mean, you need to quit worrying. If God had, there's anything a believer has to fear, He would tell you. And there is not one verse that says, you ought to be afraid of this. And every time he came to any of his men or women, he'd say, don't be afraid. Fear not. I'm with you. Fear not. I've got to go to prison. I did something terrible. I'm forgiven. But I've got to go to Fear not. I'll be with you. I, I read the Bible. We got saints beaten up, tortured, beheaded in prison. And God was with them. And God's with you. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There's just not one legitimate reason to be afraid. And he says, that peace will guard your heart and mind. Last thought, that word guard is a military term in the Greek. It means a sentry guard, a garrison of troops or soldiers. Paul is writing to these Philippian believers. That's a Roman city occupied by a Roman legion. And Roman legions, the sentry guards, kept the peace of Philippi, the city, intact. God says, when you trust Christ, He puts a century, a century around your heart and your mind. So what worries you today? Your health, your finances, your relationships. All that you've got to do in the next couple of weeks, marriage problems, job problems, kids, your career. God says, if you'll take these four steps, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Thank God in all things and think about the right things. He said he will guard you with a peace that passes all understanding. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.